Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. And welcome everyone. Good good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you are on the globe. I'm so delighted to have with you to be with you today and, and to have with us uh, an amazing man. Um, his name is Dean Laprini and he has written what I consider one of the most amazing books out there. It's called Pathways of the Sun, Unveiling the Mysteries of Table Mountain and Beyond. This book reveals magnificent, ancient, sacred sites found along a latticework of sun paths crisscrossing the southern tip of Africa, through which he discovers an intimate connection between our ancestors and their deep knowledge of the interconnectedness of our Mother Earth and the cosmos. He also recently compiled and released a DVD called Pathways of the Sun and Awakening. He is a pioneer of archaeoastronomy in South Africa. He has produced an independent academic thesis weaving together the many layers of ancient history uncovered by his research and findings, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Dean adds his deep insight and knowledge of the metaphysical healing energies that surround and enshrine these sacred places and has led hundreds of tours and journeys over 20 years and masterfully co-creates each journey and experience by carefully discerning the particular needs of the various spiritual groups and individuals. Now, those of you who listen to me on a regular basis know I don't rave about books that often. I like them or like them a lot. I don't often rave. This is one of the raves, and while I, I often will suggest, you know, getting a book or, or whatever, um, this one is on Kindle, but I recommend that you actually buy the book itself because the photography in it will be awe-inspiring. The, the, um, the rock faces and guardians that he speaks of, are are amazing and and you know that that often when we have effigies you know we kind of you have to 
Oh, turn your head upside down and squint your eyes and peer sideways to see what exactly they're talking about. And in the case of the the, the faces that he has found in the, in the rock structures in South Africa, there is no denying that these are faces and that they are located appropriately to send you on a passage. And, and he has had the delightful experience, which not everyone has, of, of being spiritually guided and inspired to discover a piece of our heritage that predates Giza. So, so it's, it's something that we, we really need to educate ourselves about because it's a part of our history that, that frankly has been ignored and, and, you know, like in many cases, not paid attention to. So without a, further ado, I'm going to welcome, welcome Dean to the show. Thank you so much for being here, Dean. I know we're seven hours apart, so I, I appreciate your, your trying to synchronize our time so that we can do this interview. Well, thanks so much, Hello, Barbara. It's really great. <laughs> yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I'm here. It's fine. Okay, great. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on the show and for that that beautiful introduction. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to to spending the next two hours sharing with you and and the listeners a little bit about the the sacred sites of Southern Africa and, and, um, you know, how... uh, it's it's an important time for South Africa to come forward um, with her sacred sites and the wisdom of these these ancient beings that are are really our our our, for, our first ancestors. You know, our, uh, potentially the the place where humans were first first birthed or seeded uh, on our planet. And um, uh, if that be the case, South Africa may potentially not only hold the blueprint of humanity, but but also hold the blueprint of human spirituality. Well, you know, I think the thing that that blew me out of the water was, you know, usually when you talk about ancient history, you're sent to either Egypt or South America, and and it, it appears that South Africa has even older structures, and I know in in some places you've got um, in in some places there you you have a, a cave engravings that go back seventy thousand years. Now, why is it that that when you talk about antiquity and all of that, that South Africa isn't the most prominent site in all of the history books? Well, it's <clears throat> it almost seems like. It's it's some kind of uh, divine timing, <laughs> in in the way that <laughs> if 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 these ancient sites um, were brought forward, let's say twenty five years ago, when when essentially I, I first uh, I wouldn't say first began, but when I first consciously began connecting with the and working with the sacred sites of Southern Africa, um, if these sites had come forward and been readily uh, in the media, uh, the powers that were in place at that time were the sort of apartheid government regime. And most of these were very staunch fundamentalist uh, Christian-based 
and they would have seen these structures as what we say in Afrikaans, de devil sechut, which mm-hmm. which means this is devil's the devil's work. Um, so the potential of if this had come forward, then the powers that be would would very possibly have destroyed these structures immediately, um, thinking that it's the devil's work and just blowing them up. So there was a period of time that was necessary um, for me to continue on my research, to keep it very <clears throat> um, low, low key, low profile, uh, until such time as the, the government bodies changed, um, which it now has. And now we have a, a government that is uh, predominantly African. So the timing is right for for Africa to embrace uh, this finding now. Well, it's 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 just it's it's amazing. I and and I I mentioned to you know earlier that that your book is one that I feel people should actually buy. It's beautifully done, and the photographs are phenomenal, and especially those of of the stone faces. And I. They, they. It isn't something that you have to squint to see the face. It's in your face, a face with with often um, holes through the eyes, so that so that at, at certain periods of time in the year, the sun, you know, will 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 shine directly through the eye, and it's it's staggering that that you know it's it's important that everyone understand that that these edifices are there. How did you? begin this journey how did i mean i i really feel that you were spiritually inspired to start this journey but you know that's that's where i come from but it it feels to me as though at some point in time you were awakened to the knowledge and the need and and almost driven to follow these grid works these pathways to to find to find the sun grids that are that are absolutely there and and that tell you where the next one is. I mean, it 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 led you on a journey that was so profound. Um, not everyone is is as fortunate as you are to have that kind of inner drive and guidance to find and locate and mark out these these grids that are that are absolutely there. How did this begin? Well. Um... Yeah, it's it's interesting because um my my first insight um to the the kind of temple architecture or some of these blueprints of the the sacred sites and their connection to the pathways of the sun was realized as a as a child of about 10 years old and um it was through a, a, a teacher of ours um, called Mr. Goodwin, and he was a very special guy. And he would he would take us kids in his own time uh, in small groups, about seven or eight of us, every other weekend uh, up the mountain to to go to some interesting place. And what happened was we had met early in the morning. It was before sunrise and we were were planning a sunrise walk to a cave called the elephant's eye which is down here in cape town on the peninsula on a mountain called the constantia and um this 
this cave, the elephant's eye, looks like, uh, well, the whole mountain actually looks like an elephant from a, a certain distance away. But the eye is very predominant. It is looks like a train tunnel. I mean, it is literally about uh, 80 to 100 feet in height um, and goes, goes and, and probably 50 feet or so in, in or even more in width and uh, goes back uh, well over probably 200 feet deep. And um, <clears throat> we were led into this cave while it was still uh, dawning. The, the sun hadn't breached the, the horizon yet. And I was standing inside the, the back of the cave looking out of this train tunnel window type eye, literally the eye of the elephant. And I had this little mantra going through my head, oh, I'm in the eye of the elephant, you know, very excited as a, a 10-year-old. And then in the, uh, as the sun <clears throat> came up over the horizon, I saw within the, the entrance to the cave a, a human profile, a face looking out. And the focal point, which is basically where the bridge of the, uh, the nose meets the brow, there's a little V. That little V is your focal point. And uh, this focal point was, was capturing the sun rising up over the, what we call in archaeoastronomy, the horizon calendar, which was a stretch of mountains running north to south in the, about 50 kilometers away. And as the sun came up over this distant uh, horizon calendar, it shone the light right through the bridge of the, the, the focal point of this watchman and led the light to the back of the cave. I shouted to all the kids, look, I found the eye. And it's watching the sun and, and it's leading the light to the back of the cave. And, and all the kids got into this li alignment with me and they were looking through the, the focal point. And um, I remember the teacher uh, coming into this alignment as well. And there was this very strange, perplexed look on his face, like he had just seen something but couldn't quite fathom what it was. Um, and then it was gone. That was it. And I completely forgot about it uh, for, for many, many years. And um, uh, the only reason that I, I managed to get back to it was uh, about when I was about 22 years old, I had uh, taken on a part-time job with what, what was known as the Academy for Mathematics. And we were marketing a, a, a home study program for mathematics. And I was completely taken by this program. I thought it was fantastic. And, um, but it led us to, to many parts of Southern Africa, speaking to different communities, right from you know the grassroots people right up to those living in mansions. And um, one of the trips we did was to uh, Namibia, uh, what was then Southwest Africa. And we had traveled in a, in a vehicle. We call them combis here. They, they Volkswagens, minibuses. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, what had happened is the, as we crossed the great orange river, which is a massive river that runs from North to South, uh, sorry, from, from East to West across Southern Africa. And, uh, the, the vehicle, 
blew up. The engine blew up. <laughs> and there we were, stuck at this place called Fuels Drift on the banks of the Orange River. And um, the, the leader had to disappear back to Cape Town to try to figure out another vehicle. And we were stuck there for about four days. And <clears throat> while walking along the, the banks of the river, I came across a set of petroglyphs. Now, petroglyphs are basically rock engravings that are made by a hand-picking action. Um, so a certain stone tool had to be used to create this hand-picking, dot-to-dot um, engraving. And this engraving was a massive fresco of, of uh, the whole uh, area. It showed the river. It showed elephants, various animals. Uh, it was a whole story that was being portrayed on this, this large flat rock. And I was completely transfixed with it. And um, as I was admiring and engaging with this, this set of rock uh, engravings, there were, there were rocks all around. I mean, thousands of rocks everywhere. And um, in the distance, there was one rock that was slightly darker, but shining out amongst all the rest. And I walked over and I picked this stone up and it slipped into my hand and it was in fact the stone tool or one of the stone tools that was used to create this hen pecking action. So the, the stone actually fits in your hand. It has finger grips. It has a thumb grip. And that night I sat in meditation with the rock in my hand and suddenly it was as though the rock was starting to communicate to share something about the, 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 the knowledge, the spirit, the wisdom of the, the rock itself and the person who had chosen that rock and fashioned it into this, this tool. And as I was holding it, uh, it was revealed that this was not just some clumsy rock tool it in fact was a precision tool that had been very carefully chosen for its nature. In other words, the actual geology of it, it was cross bedded that gave it strength for the downward blow. Um, it had finger grips. It was triangulated and truncated with the, with a rounded triangulated tip. Um, so when it fitted in your hand, you only had uh, one action that could be performed and as that struck down the hen peck so it's literally like the beak of a hen that would peck the rock and make a dot suddenly my whole understanding of the ancient peoples was taken to another level that that these people were in fact highly intelligent uh beings and they they had insights to the spirit and nature of of uh of our earth and of rocks that uh, is just so much deeper than we, 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 we've been led to believe. Yeah, and, and, and um, I, think, I think there is an arrogance um, sometimes among us today to think that these were, quote-unquote, primitive people. And, you know, I, it sometimes blows my mind away that, that 
you know, we rely on technology so much that we have lost a connection with nature that, that those earlier people actually had and worked with and were a part of. And, and so in many ways, their wisdom was so far ahead of where we, of where we are today on a consciousness level. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, the the um they were utilizing far more of their beingness than we are today. And when I say that I mean all their their God given creator given um senses were being utilized at a very, very high level. So their sense of smell their sense of taste and touch, uh, their sense of hearing, their eyesight um, was completely tuned in to what was going on in the moment on the, uh, uh, surrounding them. And um, even their, their, uh, their gift of, of, um, of intuition um, was highly, highly acute. Uh, so they were, they were, in my mind, living a far more full beingness than we are today. And we have much to, to learn from them. Oh, absolutely. I, I know that somewhere I read that, that there actually is archaeological evidence that that, that, that that area of the country has had a human population for over 2 million years. So... So that so that they had a synchronicity with nature and they lived in harmony with nature as opposed to where we are today. Yeah, it's really fascinating the 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 seeding of humanity here in in southern Africa. So yeah, from the, from the earliest uh, uh, human beings uh, going right back into you know, your equivalent of your Neanderthals and what we have here is the, uh, um, our Mrs. Pless, which is the one that is based on, on uh, being around about one and a half to two million years old, which was found uh, in Sterkfontein area, which is just outside of Johannesburg. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating to see that even today, uh, new there are new findings. In other words, even new um, uh, Homo sapiens uh, species that are are being found. Homo species that are being found. So, uh-huh. from my my side, I'm very interested to see uh, how this continues to to evolve because we don't actually know how old these structures are. Some of them we do. Yes, the carvings that you spoke about go back 75,000 years. Um, the, the, um, uh, that, is, that was found on the southern coast of, of, of southern Africa, near Mossel Bay, mm-hmm. a place called Pinnacle Point. And uh, the other fascinating place is sitting in Botswana, in a place called uh, Tsordilo Hills, which has been known by many people as one of the most sacred sites of the the early Bushmen people, and on this, which is completely adorned with, with um, rock paintings and so on, that also go back hundreds and thousands of years. 
but there is a cave there that is called the Serpent Cave. And this cave um, has a 35-foot long python, rock python, that is three-dimensional. It's in a cave where there are paintings and where the early uh, shamans have actually scraped uh, scales into the, into the serpent to make it more lifelike. And it stands proud, so it's like three-dimensional. And you can, wow. there is a cave that, that you walk down the back of the serpent, sort of the, the back edge of the serpent. You can go right to the back of the serpent. And this is where I was told by uh, uh, one of the great healers and visionaries of Southern Africa, Baba Kredo Mutua, that this is where the, the shamans would sit and the, the whole reason for this is that the python represented the Milky Way. So the python was actually a representation of all the stars and the star beings. And it was a means for the people on earth to communicate with the stars and to pray to the gods of the heavens for, to, you know, to bring them healthy children plenty of fishes because that whole area was actually surrounded by water at one time. Um, so the kind of things that people would pray for today, they would be praying for there through the, the serpent. And um, uh, he was actually, he, he, Baba Kreda Mutua went there when he was still a young initiate, uh, probably, you know, not even in his 20s, sort of just early 20s. And um, an a, uh, archaeologist, Sheila Colson, did some research there about 10 years ago, and she dug a hole right there uh, in the cave, right next to the serpent. And she unearthed jasper-headed, uh, jasper spearheads that were not used for fighting, these or hunting. They were used as an offering. Uh, to the serpent. So again, the red, the red uh, jasper, the red ochre. These are all representations of the uh, the menstrual blood of of the Earth Mother. So again, it's to to uh, support fertility within themselves and of course within the land, because it was important that uh, the animals were were healthy and that they bore children and had young so that there would be enough food for, for everyone. Um, so, and that has been dated. Those spearheads have been dated, strangely enough, also at 75,000 years. It's, it's really, it's fascinating to me that, that uh, among other things, and I want to get to the, to the, to the stone heads, the guardians, because they, they're what, what really blew me out of the water and and then of course all of this other information is is phenomenal and and as you said before perhaps it's good that that they aren't coming into the the general public knowledge at this point in time because in the 1800s when when they were discovering giant skeletons they were just destroying them or taking them as you know cute little you know 
things to have on your coffee table to talk about it at tea time and not realizing that they had great significance to the area and the time frame that they represented. And hopefully, because of your book, because of the information that is going to be getting out there about all of these sites, hopefully they will be preserved rather than um, desecrated by people taking a chunk off them to take home because, you know, it was a great spiritual trip type stuff. Um, A lot of the stone faces have been, and and a lot of the other um, structures that that you've you've, um, indicated in your book, they're all, um, most of them, are oriented for the solstices and the equinoxes so that they had an understanding of those particular times of the year as well. This is this speaks to a highly evolved consciousness, not just as somebody who's stumbling around trying to get food for the day. Definitely. And and so I'll come back to those for you because so so my 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 trip to Namibia when I when I sat with that that stone tool in my hand and had this sort of uh, deeper insight and connection to the early peoples, I was led back to Cape Town and I went up a mountain, uh, which is known as Lion's Head. And uh, um, it's a very, very special place. But I was, I was led up there one day with my, my now brother-in-law and I was walking up the mountain, and I got to a point where uh, we had to literally push through the bushes, and we entered into this passageway, this granite passageway. And there, in the center of the passageway, I looked to my left, to the west, to where the sun would be going down. And there, balanced on top of two other boulders, is a, is a, was a 10-foot gigantic head. I'm talking about completely three-dimensional um, with a one of the eye sockets clearly seen. So um, with, with, with an eye hole drilled right through the granite and, uh, and a tiny one next to it, which would represent your, your tear duct. And um, I sat gazing up at this incredible stone being uh, and I said to my, my brother-in-law, this is a stone age telescope was the only words that came to me. And um, I was completely blown away. And I decided, I decided right there and then that on the next full moon, I was going to come up there and see how the moon interacted with this big stone watchman uh, or stone telescope at that time. And um, I came back uh, alone uh, on the next full moon, I went into meditation, waiting for the moon to to rise. And uh, the, the moon rose up and moved into the midheaven. And then as it dropped down to the west, in other words, dropping down from the midheaven, the moonlight started to interact with this eye. And as the sun continued its path to the early morning uh, and to the to the west the moon came fully in alignment with the eye and the entire granite head was cast in shadow on the on the passage on the opposite passageway wall 
and within the shadow or the the shadow of this uh, um, head was a golden eye, uh, which was the moonlight coming through the eye. So uh, it was showing that the 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 whole profile had been aligned to a specific direction that when the sun hit a particular uh, uh, direction, which happens to be due west, exactly. So if you're mm -hmm. looking at my book and you're looking at that profile and you're looking through the eye, you are looking exactly due west. Um, and I was, I was just completely blown away. That night I was led uh, around that entire area uh, working what I talk about the, the, the step pyramidal format, which is really a natural stepping uh, uh, step pyramidal layout of lion's head. And on each of these steps, I was led to different marker stones. And uh, uh, after my experience that night, I came down the mountain. I, I got a uh, immediately got a, a map of, lion's head and I blew it up as big as I could and I drew my first I found exactly the spot where I was and I drew my first east-west line across the page and as it cut through the eye of this watchman and continued to the east it cut through the South African Astronomical Observatory in other words through the telescopes of the Astronomical Observatory. And suddenly I thought, I had called this a Stone Age telescope. And suddenly this Stone Age telescope <laughs> is directly in alignment with a modern day telescope. Something, something's up. And um, yeah. that, was my next port, that was my next port of call. I went straight to the observatory and I said, look, I found this stone structure uh, with this eye hole and it's watching the sun and it, 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 it cuts straight through here. And they said to me, oh, you know what? You, you, you're dealing with archaeoastronomy. And they, uh, um, they, they, I, I got chatting to them, and I said, yeah, but how can I work with this? And they said, well, here's some formulas. And they gave me all these like really complicated formulas to plot the movements of the sun and the, the moon uh, through the, the year, different heights of the mountain. And I went through these massive calculations, COS-10 and all this stuff, and then... I would go back and I test check them, and they 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 were correct, you know, amazingly. And then, but at yeah. the same, at, in the same breath, handed me a a, a a folder. He said, "Oh, but but you don't actually have to do all these calculations. Here they are for every latitude you want." And he handed me the formulas, and and I've been using. <laughs> I and I started to. Um. But yeah, that was that was essentially the real beginning. And what I did is I decided I'm going to follow this pathway of the sun. I'm going to carry on with that line, and I'm going to follow it to the next point, and to the next point, and to the next point. And essentially, that's what I did. I resigned my job. I got on my little motorbike with my backpack, and I told my parents, I'm off to follow the pathway of the sun. And of course, they... <laughs> They knew, I, they knew I was pretty nuts anyway, so uh, they they agreed, and off I went. And I had my map, and I had my binoculars, and a compass, and a pot and a pan, and I uh, uh, 
took off following the pathway of the sun and I was led from one point to the next. And every single time I would be led up the mountain, I would walk into one of these sites. And strangely enough, exact same formula would be working out. Whether it was through the, the eyes of one of these watchmen or whether it was one of these geometric marker stones that, that showed clear placement, uh, the alignments and the mathematical formula just kept repeating itself. No matter, no matter what the rock time. So it was not a weathering pattern. No, and, and I, I want to reiterate what I said earlier. These are not faces you have to squint at to make them be a face. These are faces. These are, are right. discernible. These are, I mean, you, you could easily miss them if you were, you know, just walking down a path and not paying attention, but they're there, they're faces, and, and you know, with, with noses and eyebrows and chins. I mean, they are really discernible, and, and it's not just one or two, it's a lot of them. And, and it's I, it just blows you away that, that somebody hasn't noticed these before. <laughs> Right. And, and <clears throat> you know, the alignments are very specific and very, very accurate. And uh, I remember sharing this with, with Baba Kredo Mutua, and he said, well, you can say that these are natural, but tell me, why are there holes where the eyes should be? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and he had continued to say that he believes that these were tools that the ancient people used to communicate with the stars above. It, it's amazing because theoretically they were hunter-gatherers at the very, you know, at the very beginning, um, and yet, and yet they had these these massive faces, guardians, that that in in many ways enabled them to to um, follow uh, a calendar of some sort. And, and there's one term that, that, you know, you're the first time, and, and, and when I say you're, you, you, something is the first, it usually means that it's so ancient that it's almost, you know, gone out of use, whatever. But horizon calendars, can you spend a minute or two on horizon calendars? Because I found it, it, it explains something profoundly to me that I often wondered about ancient peoples, um, how they used horizon calendars for planting and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, uh, when you're talking about archaeoastronomy, you, you ideally want to have yourself in a, in a, uh, an area where the, the geography and the topography of the landscape lends itself to taking these, these recordings. So if you are sitting in one place and you have a, the, the sun is rising to your, your east and you are facing the sunrise. Um, if you've got a stretch of mountains that run from north to south, it is the perfect horizon calendar. Because what will happen is... <clears throat> As the sun rises up due east for the equinox, for example, 
it will rise up sort of in the center of this uh, stretch of mountains, and it may rise in a low point or a high point or some significant uh, markable and recordable reference point on that on that ridge of mountains. And now for the summer solstice, the sun is going to rise to the south of east, at least now for if you're south of the equator. And um, mm-hmm. for Cape Town, where we are, the sun actually rises 29 and a half degrees to the south of east, almost 30 degrees. And um, the winter solstice rises 29 and a half, almost 30 degrees north of east. So <clears throat> when you are watching the sun move from the winter solstice sunrise to the summer solstice sunrise, you're actually watching it move 60 degrees across the horizon. So uh, you could say there's 60 different points, uh, degrees, to actually calibrate the movement of the sun moving from, <coughs> excuse me, from the winter to the, to the summer. And if you were living out in nature, you could not not see that. You could not not see it. Uh, it was just happening all the time, uh, from summer to winter and from winter to summer. Um, so the sun is actually moving in, in, in Cape Town 120 degrees, 60 degrees from winter to summer, and then again another 60 degrees back again from summer to winter. Um, so the, the sun is walking along this horizon um, uh, every single day. And sometimes it's walking slowly and sometimes it's moving fast. When it gets to the solstices, it walks slowly. But when it gets to the equinox time, it walks very quickly. So the the rising points are are much uh, wider apart every day. So um, the horizon calendar allowed you to, to very, very accurately calibrate the seasons, the cycles and seasons, um, every single year and the cycles and seasons dictated the the nature of your environment um it was either winter and it was bloody freezing cold and maybe not a whole lot of food around um and the summer was nice and warm and the time when lots of fruits and things were ripening uh, and and many hours in the day to to gather your your bounty from from Mother Earth, and of course the spring the, the the equinox the spring equinox the one in the middle would represent the the time of rebirth. In other words, the time that all the animals were popping out babies and uh, the time of mating, so a, a time of great fertility, and um, these were times. Uh, these were cycles that dictated whether 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 we would survive or not, and uh, uh-huh. the ancient peoples uh, were honouring this fertility of Mother Earth, this marriage between Father, Son, Mother Earth. They didn't need to, yeah. you know, they, it was just so much a part of their beingness the, uh, to 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 understand that it is the seed of light of the father you know the fire of life the sun that 
brings life to this planet. Well, you answer a question that I've always, you know, that I've always had. It was, you know, sort of like, okay, how do they calibrate this? How do, and, you know, it, it's, it's so in-your-face logical that, of course, you don't, most people don't see it. Um, so, so in your journey of, of following the sun, um, you, you discovered marker after marker after marker. You know, sooner or later you ran out of ground. What did you do then? <laughs> um, I'll tell you something. I sure haven't run out of ground yet um, because <laughs> um, where I get led to, there is, uh, there is usually one big monumental structure that covers that area. Um, and these are really what we, what I understand as, as earth temples and they are central gathering places, um, that are carefully chosen for their astronomical positioning, their geographical positioning, their topographical positioning within the landscape and the, the energetic uh, placement or value of that area and uh, so there's many many layers that uh, in, encompass each of these, these, these earth temples and why they were chosen but the, the alignment to the fire of life the sun was one of the key reasonings for focusing their energy and their attention on that particular site and um, but they, they, the, 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 the pathways of the sun radiate out both to the sunrise and to the sunset and to the high noon sun. And these pathways spread right across the country. So they are leading you from one site to the next site. And within each site that you walk into, there is this... this um, uh, uh, many, many pathways that of light, light pathways that are dictated by the the uh, the movements of the sun that will lead you to smaller shrines um, that extend out of that central point. So I have, but far exhausted um, the the Earth temples in southern Africa. I haven't even scraped the surface, and I've been doing it 27 <laughs> years. Well, I, I read uh, someplace me. that there were that there were twenty to thirty thousand sites identified at this moment in time, but that you know it, it just keeps getting larger and larger and larger. Well, yes, and that that should tell you something because that means that there must have been a very stable uh, structure uh, of human existence in place for a very, very long period of time um, and who, where the level of consciousness was extremely heightened. And I'm talking about spiritual consciousness especially. Um, so uh, they were utilizing these sites uh, to obviously enhance their spiritual connection to the earth and to the cosmos. And this is part of what kept them alive as as i believe today we have to 
our, our spiritual body has to be strong in order for us to overcome some of the earthly um, uh, hardships that we, we sometimes have to endure. And my, my feeling is that this consciousness is starting to reawaken in humanity. And uh, these temples and their, their alignments were at a time when human consciousness was at a very high high point. So these these structures are aligning now. However, if you look at the epochs of time and the the uh, the Earth's sort of movement with regards to the the um, the the ecliptic, uh, the sun's position did not always rise at 29 and a half degrees uh, south for example the summer solstice did not always rise at 29 and a half degrees uh, south of east um, but the fact that these things are lining up now means that it must have been at a cycle that they were aligning to this point and what's fascinating is that the the uh, the obliquity of the ecliptic cycle and i'm not i'm not this is just a big word don't worry about it it's just like the <laughs> this, the, the, the tilt of the earth's axis uh is com- directly responsible for how much light and shadow hits the earth um and therefore it impacts on the earth and the nature that is on the earth and hence we have these epochs of time that bring on ice ages and, and uh, uh, droughts and rises in sea levels uh, that span way, way back. And in South Africa, it's one of the, being one of the birthplaces means that these human beings actually existed through these great epochs of time, through these great earth changes through these ice ages in particular. And trust me, you only have to live through one ice age and you will be <laughs> down to the sun. <laughs> uh, well, so, they, there was something about the progression of the eclipses that, that we're, we're sort of in that same time frame that, that happened about 25,000 or 30,000 years ago. So that, so that, you know, this is a pattern that the earth has gone through and, and that your material is coming out now um, is so profound. I, I know you wrote the book a long time ago, but it, it, it feels strongly as though it's humanity as a whole is, is ready to embrace and understand what you're trying to say, where a generation or two ago it wouldn't have. Right, right. So, well, so I conscious. Guess I'm well. So, <laughs> so, you're just a tad ahead of your time. Well, thank you for that. I'll I'll try and keep my my spiritual ego in check. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, somebody's got to crack the door, and and it does feel here as though these people, um, even though. It, it, it feels that there aren't a whole bunch of skeletal remains to to talk to them or of them. It feels as though they have left 
their mark upon the, well the earth and and it, it's sort of a, a sign to wake up there's something going on i know that you you actually even traced the chakra pattern um in in one of the areas to show that that power centers chakras of of the earth and and you know do relate to the chakras of of humanity so so there is a synchronicity going on here they they understood so much more about our connection to the cosmos i mean and and i love how you you've taken you know some of the star systems that that they have names for and and kind of equate them to you know the romans and the greeks and 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 us i mean they were not unaware they were probably more aware than we are of our connectivity to the cosmos. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the early, uh, the earliest records we have, of course, are the, from the, the, some of the, um, the early Bushman people, the San and the Khoi people that were, uh, uh, they call them now, but, um, they definitely had a full cosmological uh, belief system in place. And, you know, being, you know, living under the stars, literally uh, every single day of their lives, they had a very deep uh, connection to what was going on in, in the sky um, uh, at night. And they, they would sit around fires and obviously uh, share stories that, that uh, connected them to the, the stars. And, uh, you know, one of the, their beliefs is that the, the stars were actually the, the eyes of their, their ancestors, their deceased. So there's a very direct connection to the stars. You know, it, it does make you wonder. We know a little bit about, well, ancient Egypt and ancient Greece and ancient Rome, um, because there, there, we we have documentation of sorts in in artifacts that they have left behind. Now, aside from the guardians, are there any other kinds of indications or or artifacts that that have been discovered that that go back as far as the guardians do? Well, the the book is really was. Uh, as you know, written 10 years ago or so, maybe 11 years now, um, but it, it was designed to, to bridge a little bit of science and a little bit of spirituality together um, and made very visual because even within the images, I believe there is an encoding, a memory that's somehow uh, able to transmit uh, some of the consciousness of what was going on. Uh, and why I specifically made the book so visual, so that even if a child or someone who could not read opened that book, there would be some energetic transmission, understanding on some level or other for them just through the the images themselves. Um, Now, the academic side... Uh, the thesis that I'm actually re I'm actually busy updating it as we speak. Uh, I have very strict protocols that uh, I, I put in place. So when I'm researching a particular area, I 
am looking for at least three components of about five. So one, there must be an archaeological site. In other words, a cave, uh, a shelter, a shelmiden, something that shows human habitation in and around the area, the site that I'm researching. And when I mean that, I mean within like a couple of hundred meters at the most. It must be okay. right there. That is human existence and human interaction with that area. Uh, so that's the, the, the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that the, the rocks themselves must have some kind of placement, apparent placement. In other words, they may be put in position uh, with another rock, another rock that's actually wedged in a crack to, to hold it in position, hold it in that alignment. Uh, the next thing is that it could hold a specific geometry, a, a sacred geometry that we know, be it a, in some of them there, you can see there's a perfect equilateral triangle, for example, with a rectangular yeah. hole right through the center. Uh, wedged in a crack on a flat plateau. These, these are signs that these rocks have been potentially placed in position. So there must be potential placements, in, uh, uh, physical placements in, in, uh, as part of the protocols of the research. Um, the next thing is that it must so show some astronomical alignment. In other words, to... A, to uh, cardinal alignments to the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the equinox, or the midheaven. Uh, so there must be an astronomical, clearly an astronomical alignment of that particular site, that particular rock. Um, where am I? Uh, what else? Um, so, so these are just a few of the, the protocols that are, that are in place. If someone goes to the sacredsites.co.za website, I have a poster presentation there uh, in the research section. They, it's a massive A1 poster presentation. You can kind of zoom into that and scroll around and have a look at it. And uh, you will see some of the the protocols that, that I have in place for uh, researching and showing what you're saying now, where is the human interaction here? Um, so those protocols, there must be at least three of them that come together for me to include it in my, my academic uh, um, research. Oh, the other one is that it must also be topographically in a significant position. So what I mean by that is within the landscape, we're talking about the horizon calendar. Um, so where does the sun hit first when it comes through the horizon calendar in that particular local? Where does it hit? So the topographical positioning of the rock is very significant. So we can add topographical and geographical uh, positioning into those into those same protocols. Um, in other words, it's not haphazard. It's not just lying there, you know, in any random uh -huh. place. It's there because when the sun comes up over that horizon, 
50 kilometers away and it's in the low point, which means we get to see it first before anyone else. When that torch beam of light shoots across where it first hits is significant. Um, uh, let me ask you something. Um, in, in a lot of places, at least here in New England where I am, most of the stone work, you know, stone effigies or whatever, are, are out of granite with some quartz in them. Um, in other places in the world, of course, there's a different composition of the rock. What is the, 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 the most common rock composition there? That, that these uh, structures, these guardians, these these signal points, what what kind of rock are they made out of? It will be in whatever rock type is in the area. So if we're talking about Cape Town and Table Mountain, uh, we mm-hmm. are talking about so that big granite skull that I mentioned uh, that yeah. I came back to after my trip from Namibia. Um, that is granite, and that is made of uh, quartzite, silica, mica, all these very interesting ingredients uh, that in the early days they made transistor radios from. So yes. I believe that these rocks actually are capable of holding memory, uh, and the granite bedrock is known by the African people as the bones of Mother Earth. And from my side, when I work with the energetic energetic flows through the Earth, when I talk about the song lines or the song of the Earth, uh, the granite bedrock, the bones of the Earth, are these crystal grids that carry the song of the Earth across the planet. And there are certain energetic nodices, like the acupuncture points on your body, uh, that are were highly significant to the ancient peoples. So we've now mentioned the astronomical significance, the topographical, the placement, the ancient people were there, the caves are there, their bones were found there, their stone tools were found there, but also the energetic value of that place. Uh, they understood the, uh, the healing properties that were enshrined within the sacred landscape itself. So certain healing plants and uh, herbs will thrive in certain areas depending on the collective energetic song of that area. And Uh that collective is what the plant and the herb itself will be resonating with. So depending on you're, you know, the, you're, uh, you're, you're talking you're talking about the song of the earth, and it, it's it's interesting because um, the vortexes that that have been found in in different places around the globe, it feels like it's also. Um, are you familiar with solfeggio? Frequency music? Yes. Because yes. it feels like there, there is a frequency that is in a lot of these places that enhances the, uh, a person's ability 
to tune into themselves and then the cosmos that the it feels like they have identified those places where the frequencies were the highest and because they were drawn to them because of those frequencies those energies there's vortexes i you know you can call them lots of different things but they seem to all be the same that that they were drawn to those areas for for a sense of communication with self and the cosmos. Does that make sense? That's completely, completely. So, so uh, we spoke earlier about the granite skull, the eye, and it was a means to communicate with the stars above. Um, mm-hmm. um, that was given by Baba Crado, who is a great visionary. I mean, he's a writer of African cosmology and uh, a great visionary and healer himself. Um, and he's now, you know, 94 years old. So he's a wise old man. Um, and he was just confirming exactly what you're saying and exactly what, what I've been experiencing within, within the, the sites themselves. So uh, on your clip here, you see a pyramid with the all-seeing eye rock. That rock is a 70-foot pyramid rock, which has an eye hole right through the apex. And if you hold up the pyramid with the all-seeing eye on your dollar bill, you'll see that it is almost exactly the same. And what is that pyramid with the all-seeing eye uh, symbol being used for today? It's a, a Freemason symbol, but it's mm-hmm. also simple power. It's it's the 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 uh, it represents the masculine and and on the on the the uh, fire element. And that particular pyramid of the all-seeing eye, as you see the sun coming through there, is aligned to the solar uh, uh, the, the the summer solstice. The sun, when is it, it is at its most powerful point of the year, uh, the longest day of the year, the day of great light. And um, the upward pointing pyramid is solar. It is a fire symbol. And the fact that this symbol is here aligning to the summer solstice uh, shows me that the ancient peoples had a very deep, understanding of sacred geometry and its connection to not only to the cosmos and but also to the the uh the elemental energies the the uh the, the symbol of fire and um that pyramid actually represents the solar plexus on the peninsula so when i when you mentioned i've mapped the the energetic points that particular point actually represents the, the solar plexus. So again, it is a solar symbol, uh, a place where you can, you can utilize that structure to help you to, to come into your power, to find your, your real inner strength from your solar plexus, from your gut. And um, I use these structures to do... To do uh, uh, healing work with, with groups and we actually go there and uh, that upward that, that whole uh, pyramid is actually made from quartzitic sandstone which has been metamorphosed 
which means the sedimentary rocks through heat and pressure have melted the sandstone grains together and fused them into crystals. So we are looking wow. not only at a pyramid 70 feet tall, we're looking at a pyramid that is almost pure quartz crystal in its, in its molecular structure. And uh, this pyramid uh, is pointing straight up into the midheaven. In fact, it's been cantilevered. It's not even resting on its butt. It's been cantilevered. It has a fulcrum point where it's resting on its solar plexus. And it is pointed, cantilevered, at exactly 45 degrees and points straight into the midheaven. Um, and 45 degrees is the exact central point between the horizon and the midheaven. So the ancient peoples would definitely, I feel, and I'm thinking, how do I feel it? It's because I'm, I'm remembering on some cellular level this piece of my, my ancient beingness that is now starting to, to reawaken and uh, enhance my connection to Mother Earth, Father Sky. And uh, it acts an antenna. It sends out signal and it receives signal. Well, it's, so it's, I, it's, so, it's, <laughs> it's so profound that I think one of the things that, that has always bothered me about a lot of ritualistic everything is that, you know, so much is required and there's so many steps and there are so many this is and that's. And the reality is it's, it's very, it's easy if you embrace the oneness we have and allow energy to flow. You, you know, there isn't so much the ritualistic um, material that you have to go through. You have to just become one with this energy, and that enables you to make the connection within yourself to the cosmos. And it it feels as though those people were not, and, and the word primitive doesn't feel right, but those early people, those, those people that were, um, that, that we're utilizing and creating these signals to the future um, knew what they were doing. They they were so so amazingly um, attuned to to what we can use the Earth energies for that it's profound and and I I don't think they were just making maps for the current time. I think they were leaving a message for the future. That, that happily, hopefully, we're smart enough to pay attention to now and utilize as well. Uh, I, absolutely. I can, I can uh, agree with that. So, so you mentioned something, and, and that is attunement. And um, when I work with these structures, sound is a very important component. Uh, um, so when I would go on my journeys, you know, my, my, the first part of my journey was very, very much a lone journey. Um, and I am not, I don't follow any modality, if you want to put it that way. Um, I am definitely self initiated, <laughs> uh, in that way. And, um, 
but when I did travel through these places, I would enter with a deep understanding of the nature and a deep respect for that place uh, and a, a, a knowingness that somehow uh, in order to, to attune yourself, uh, in other words, to, to hear what messages have been left, we need to come in and just be, and often it is through sound that we release the message that is encoded within the site. So by using your own voice, you merge with the song, your own song merges with the song of the site. And in that way, there is whatever guidance, whatever healing, whatever uh, transmission needs to happen from you to the site, from the site to you, is, uh, takes place. And uh, sound is an incredibly important part at least from my side the, of my journey. And where I can, I will do the same for groups. Uh, so the seeding of intentions or whatever are done through sound, through that structure, um, uh, in order to communicate your connection to Mother Earth, Father Sky. Yeah, it, it just it seems to me that there's there's great intent to to have something that can be utilized by 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 those that are there at that time frame i but but when you look at the faces especially of the guardians um to to enhance whatever nature had there before the face appeared took i mean it had to take decades to create those faces um, yeah, you're right. That's what we, we were touching on that earlier, that whoever put these, this, this uh, grid network in place tools that we can use today, that's the, 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 the amazing thing. These things are working. Whenever I would go visit Baba Credo, he would say, are they still working? <laughs> um, and, and yes, they are. They are. Uh, and this is the beauty of it. It's now about, from my side, just trying to create the opportunity for more people to to learn how to engage with these these uh, sacred places that have these this this collective consciousness of uh, of our existence on on the planet. Um, so when I talk about the the, the song of the earth. I'll just briefly give you a, an idea of how that song line is actually made up. Is you start off with the bass tones of the the choir of that particular place, and the bass tones are from the geology side. So the the geological layers, every single rock has its own song or frequency or vibration. So we spoke about the, the granite which contains the quartzite, the silica, the mica, all these transistor radio sort of ingredients. And the granite has its own frequency, its own vibration. The sandstone, the, the sedimentary rock, it also carries its own song or vibration depending on what the sediment was. In other words, 
what color was the soil? Was it red, white? Uh, how much uh, of, of uh, a certain metal uh, or, or other substance was uh, um, encoded into that sediment? So sedimentary rock carries its own song line essentially depending on the, 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 the color of the actual substrate that's being laid down. So, you know, Arizona, for example, has red soil. You have uh, Sedona, sorry, has red, red soil. We have the uh-huh. deserts in Australia has red soil. We have in Namibia, we, in, in Africa, we have red soil. And there's red soil in many parts of the world. That red soil carries a certain song, a frequency, a vibration. And, and it is shared in other parts around the world. Is your sedimentary rock, and it depends on the, the, the color as to what that will sound like, what it will, will sound like. And um, then you have metamorphic rock, like we spoke about the pyramid. This is where layers of sedimentary rock that carry a certain song or frequency, when they are heated and they melt together, they become crystals. And that frequency then changes from the sedimentary frequency to a slightly higher frequency, which is the crystal form of that. But it is slightly different. So these are now the, the earth geological song lines that or, or, or uh, overtones of the, the collective choir or the undertones of the collective choir. And um, the geometry the sacred geometry of the landscape will then also influence that song that's coming out of that area. So if you have an area that is, for example, a, a valley, it, it will hold the sound in a certain way uh, that, is, that is resonating out of it. If you have a mountain that is like a pyramid, it's going to influence the, the collective song in, in a different way. It's going to, to, in other words, the geometry, the sacred geometry of the landscape itself has an energy field that then affects the sound that is coming out of an area. Uh, so the topographical landscape itself plays with, the, with that geological song line. Then we have the, the, ele, the, the, the elemental energies that have impacted on an area. So if there were floods, those, the, the memory and the song of that flood remains encoded in the, the, the overall choir of that particular place, the song line of that place, and uh, the song of the earth of that place. If you had a meteorite impact in a certain area, the memory and the effect, the impact onto the song line is recorded into the into the the overall uh, song of the earth in that place. If there were were uh, earthquakes, if there were were uh, fires, all these elemental uh, impacts on the earth in that particular place, those memories and the song of that happening is encoded within the collective song of that area of that earth song. The Nature has changed over these different epochs of time. We've had the ice ages. Uh, again, 
that elemental energy that impacted on the area impacts on the nature. So the plant life, what actually lived there, like we used to have jungle right where I'm sitting. This used to be jungle area. We had dinosaurs and things running around in the desert, just, you know, not even two, 300 kilometers from where I stay. Um, so the song of the, the plant life and the animal life, of a certain epoch of time remains encoded in the song line. It doesn't just disappear. Uh, and then the, the impact of humanity has played its role and adds its voice to this uh, uh, song of the earth. So where humanity had great battles were fought. That, those battles, the song and the memory of that is encoded in the song line. And But at the same time, when people were sitting around the fire and having a damn jolly good time, clapping and singing and laughing and telling stories, uh, those memories are also encoded in the song line of that, uh, the, the earth song of that particular area. Um, and the, in the moment, the stars, the actual astronomical uh, uh, Happenings in any given moment are adding their voice to the choir, this earth choir in that particular place. And of course, we all are still adding to that song every single day. So whenever we go into a place, into a sacred place or any place, we are adding our voice into the collective earth choir, the earth song of that particular place which is part of the greater universal choir. And frankly, we, we all at this point need to, to learn how to, you know, tune in a little bit better. We all need a little bit of fine tuning with regards to, our, to how we share our own gift or our own song with this universal choir. How was that? Profound. Did you, did you? <laughs> Very profound. I, I think that uh, one of the most important things that, that you, you do talk of the song of the earth, and, and most of us don't listen, don't take the time to listen to the wind and, or, or feel the energy of the earth anymore. We, most people are, are so uh, caught up in the, in the, technology of the day that they don't remember that they came from a source that was nature so that so that what you're doing and the work that you're doing and the information you're putting out there is so important because if we lose our connection with the earth we lose our our connection in many ways to the source of all creation so it's important to reconnect and, and that doesn't mean, you know, we have to be Walden ish and, you know, simplify, simplify, simply, although that's a good idea. Um, but, but when, when I, when I look at the guardians, when I look at the other um, indicators of a pathway of energy, um, are there ley lines there that go along with the, the energetics of these different um, structures that, you, that you're identifying are, are there are there other connected connectednesses <laughs> um, that are there? I it just feels as though 
South Africa may well be a missing piece to an amazing puzzle that 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 a lot of people have been waiting for. Well, I I, I feel that I do. I feel that very much, and uh, I would love to obviously uh, encourage other researchers that are in this field that will bring their own gift, their own uh, expertise that will help to bring this uh, knowledge and um, wisdom to humanity at this time that I believe is, is very much needed. So the, the, the song lines that I speak about are part of the earth song and uh, the sacred sites, these earth temples, are positioned usually where there is a, a crescendo, <laughs> some kind of uh, uh, where two songs just somehow come together and they just, wow, you know, it's like uh, um, an amazing overtone that just suddenly gets hit. And uh, uh, from, out, from that that uh, energetic point, we we find often great uh, life force energy is exuding from that that place. So, within and around those areas, we will often find many amazing, like healing plants. Uh, you may even find incredible growth, like trees that will just be growing like hundreds of feet tall, uh, where these energetic crossovers are. And um, <clears throat> these are like the chakra points that I that I positioned on the on the the map, and um, also where we find um, the the uh, the energy uh, uh, being seeded into the nature that surrounds the area through the uh, and the the healing plants and so on so we can come into an area and engage with these places and um have profound uh, uh experiences within them and uh it's really all about remembering who we are as part of the collective consciousness of human existence so as well, this uh, and, and when you when you when you realize that that the creators of of these markers in time um, easily could be hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years old, and and you think about evolution and and how our DNA is has been spread all over the planet, it. it it, in many ways, there's probably a piece of South Africa in everyone, and well, it would resonate. Absolutely. What What's interesting is uh, there's a, a really great guy called Martin Gray who wrote a book on um, the in the. Um, uh, called sacred uh, uh, he has a site called sacredsites.com and he wrote an incredible book called pieces of, places of peace and power and he has traveled all over the world uh, also over many many years uh, photographing sacred sites all over the world 
And um, he came to South Africa about two years ago. And what I was seeing is that he had been everywhere. And it was as though he was following the branches of the tree and coming back down the trunk to the root, which is Africa. Ah. Um, and genetically, of course, I mean, you know, they're already saying that we all have uh, encoded in our DNA uh, parts of the the ancient Africans, the 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 San Bushman people. Um, oh yeah. So I, I think we do all have a part of that, and if you know, uh, it it certainly appears. Uh, through at least recorded history and archaeology that South Africa is most certainly one of, if not the, birthplace of humanity. And if that be the case, then most certainly we all carry a piece of those, that early human ancestry with, with, within our DNA. And, uh, and if it, that's if the case, we should remember, we are capable of remembering uh, everything of our human existence on this planet. Well, well, yeah, and it would seem that that bringing awareness of these sites and these peoples and these energies, in a way, is calling us home to remember that we are all part of one family, one source. And and um, it's I, I think humanity as a whole is waking up to to a consciousness that that will lead them eventually some longer than others, but, but eventually to the fact that, that we do come from the same source. And if that's the case, then if we can reconnect to the, the, the song of the earth, the, um, the melody of, of, of creation, then, then we can, we can actually rise above a lot of the, conflict and conflagration that is going on today and and bring a, bring us back more in tune and harmony with the nature of which we are a part um and and these these edifices are just to me staggering um and and it's they 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 are I love the I love the term you used as as guardian because they they help to awaken an understanding of a connectiveness with with the cosmos that that we we have lost or 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 some have lost and to get back in tune that way brings a greater sense of peacefulness to everyone i would hope right i i i sure hope so too and um you know my the the other work that I'm involved with is with the the Sacred Site Foundation that I created mm-hmm. in, in 2012. And this is a, a non-profit organization that's designed to help reintroduce the indigenous descendants of these early people that have now been scattered to the wind. And uh, because sadly what happened is that in the mid-1700s, 70% of the entire San Bushman and Khoisan indigenous peoples of Southern Africa were decimated 
uh, by smallpox in six months. Goodness. So that was... So what happened is the other 30%, that means seven out of 10 of their elders, their keepers of the wisdom, their healers, their spiritual uh, uh um, priests and so on that were responsible for the keeping the spiritual values alive, they all were lost uh, in a very very short space of time, and that is why it's almost like these structures have just been left. And now the role of the Sacred Site Foundation is to uh, to reintroduce the indigenous peoples back to these sacred sites. Uh, to their, because they were the last people that interacted with them. They may not have been the people that put them in place originally, but certainly were the last to interact and engage with them. And um, the role of the Sacred Site Foundation is to initiate a custodianship management plan for sacred sites within Southern Africa. So we want to uh, have these sacred places protected but in a way that is harmonious with the with the environment so um, where we can have custodian guides from the indigenous peoples that are already living in and around where these uh, sacred sites are to be found and they will act as guides to guide people in more consciously and and respectfully uh, and to ensure that these places are protected and not desecrated um, as time moves forward. But it's also a tool that can empower these people. Many of these communities are at the bottom of the food chain. They are, highly mar- they are completely marginalized communities that um, uh, are really struggling to survive. So the sacred sites is one of the platforms that can, one, um, uplift their, their spiritual strength uh, within the community. So using, taking the community, the children, up to these places, beautiful places in the mountains, where, again, they can share uh, pieces of the, their ancestral knowledge, their wisdom, their life ways with with the community themselves and in that way strengthen the spiritual value and uh, the the community cohesiveness that is is so needed right now and uh they will be trained up as tour guides so again they can they can run these very conscious tours uh um for people that are visiting southern africa so South Africa is, is tourism is one of the most important things, but these communities are being completely marginalized. And um, these places are, are not accessible to, to, to most people. So we want to see as many people being given the support to act as custodianship guides, to protect the sites, to share their knowledge, to, and to create jobs in cultural and heritage uh, tourism within within South Africa. That sounds fabulous. I know in, in a lot of places in North, well, Sedona is one 
that that has become so commercialized that that a lot of the different sites and and um, power centers and vortexes um, are being desecrated and these these edifices that you've that you've identified in your book and and I'm sure there are more yet to come I would I would hate to see them so commercialized that they lose their their meaning and their impact and their influence. But you know something, when you stop to think about it, they have survived through time and and through times of, you know, horrible um, stuff going on with humanity, and, and they're still there. So it would seem to me that no matter what happens, they will persevere. Um, I, I just, you know, they they have such an amazing feel to them, even even just in the pictures in your book, and, and, and I want to reiterate, um, get the book, people, because the pictures show you how profound these, these faces are, and, and not only the faces, but, but the rocks, the pyramids. Um, you, you don't appreciate the mastery of them and the magnificence of them um, by just reading the book. You You really need to... Um, by just reading it on Kindle, you, you need to actually see the pictures in the book because it it shows you just how phenomenal these these structures are, and and by seeing how phenomenal they are, you realize that that here was a culture millions of years old, most probably that was leaving a signal and and wisdom and information to to decades and centuries and years to come and and to ignore them and to just say isn't that amazing look it's a face you have to understand what that face means where is it focusing what's it focusing on what is the energy connected to it and 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 how can you as a person standing there feel the energy and 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 have it help to awaken within you an understanding of a of a deeper meaning if you give it time. So often people, when they they tour around and they look at sites, they just say, you know, okay, check that one off, I saw that one, as opposed to feeling it and understanding it and incorporating it into yourself so it helps to awaken ancient wisdoms that, that every individual most probably carries within them. Yeah, absolutely. You, you're dead right, Barbara. And, and yeah, that that is very much a part of my vision is, is to, you know, create uh, and help train conscious uh, sacred site custodians and guides for South Africa so that we can lead uh, intimate groups uh, regularly into these places that, that um, allow for each person to visit the place under, a, uh, under the banner of the, the Sacred Sites Foundation where the custodianship guides and the custodianship management plan is very, very consciously set up. So there's space and time for many people, and there are many sites for many people to visit. So, and uh, uh, it, it literally can create hundreds and thousands of jobs in the way of conscious tourism and um, the management plan we, which we already have we have designed for, for 
for a strategic management plan for sacred sites uh, will be a tool that will help manage the the uh, um, the visiting uh, times and schedules for the various peoples that want to, to come and visit them. So uh, there is a way that these sacred sites can be uh, consciously managed in a way that does not take away from the from the experience. I just I just think that that they are so majestic. I mean, we've got what Mount Rushmore here that doesn't even come close. And when you stop and think about how how each generation tries to leave things of value to generations that follow, um currently, you know, we we you know, we have text messages. But but antiquity you know those those in the in the far distant path have been able to connect to this time frame in 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 many ways time traveling into the future with with a message and with an energetic that that helps you to expand consciousness and 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 to me when i see them it's it's a reminder that that there's so much more and there's there's so much more, more wisdom inside all of us that goes much deeper than we have ever traveled and yet there is that connectiveness, that link. If you take the time to open to it, you 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 so greatly enrich enrich not only yourself on a personal level, but but your reality as well. So that so that it is it is time travel in in a way that is so important. And and all you have to do is is allow yourself the freedom to connect with it. And so many people just aren't doing that but i do believe that we are at a time where the consciousness of all of humanity has opened up to a far greater degree so that this kind of connection is is more easily made and and your book is such an amazing um testimony to the fact that that the past did speak to you it led you on a journey of discovery and by that journey you you help to pinpoint places where other people can get a kind of awakening that is appropriate for them as an individual as well absolutely and i think that is where, where the work has to be you know the work has to begin uh-huh. with us with us um uh you know if you want to do anything to to improve this this earth and and uh, humanity's role in it. Get busy with yourself, you know, and and reconnect yourself to Mother Earth. Absolutely. Reconnect yourself to, to the collective uh, spirit and consciousness that that surrounds us and enshrines us. And uh, as we re- we, we, we 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 reconnect uh, these pieces of ourselves, we remember more about who we are and what gift it is that we actually have uh, as individuals in this lifetime. And uh, in that way, we are able to, to share our gift, our song, better every single yeah, day. Absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Now, just out of curiosity, do you feel that, that all of these guardians were created within... Um, 
the same time frame, and I mean a couple thousand years, or do you feel that that it 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 was something that was you know things were added generation after generation after generation? I think in, that, in other uh, words, yeah, was people, I think there was an initial uh, epoch of time where human consciousness was was very very awakened, and um, it was this seeding that that. Uh, um, I very much feel initiated this connection. Yeah, can you can you imagine being in a time frame like that, saying, "Okay, we 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 want to create a face that is going to direct people towards um, towards a time frame when when Earth energy is at a certain point, and we want to make sure that that it it." It is something that will um, sustain itself through time itself, and and in many ways be um, be an antenna to to generate energy for for anyone who comes into um, this place. And you know, I just can't imagine you know somebody today saying, "I want to make sure that I, I create something that millions of years from now will still be giving a message and a signal that that this is a place of power and and you know just just the kind of people these must have been, knowing that they were creating something um and and a focal point for energy that they knew was there and and knowing that 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 in the future way distant future it would still be there to remind people that this was a place of power and opening and and uh, attachment to the earth mother i mean what what kind of amazing people must these have been absolutely yeah and you know i had i had uh, uh you know had a deep connection with one of the sites and uh what 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 message came back? The words that actually came back. So I can see things. I can, you know, I have different ways of engaging with the sites. But one of them uh, is is actually hearing or words that would be spoken that I would uh, ring true in my heart. And uh, the words came out because I'd asked. So what what is this all about? Uh, was one of the questions that I'd posed to the site. So these are how you can engage with the site to have deeper understandings of who you are and what you're doing. And um, the the site came back with these words. Uh, we are all made of and are pulsating shades of light. Now, if you translate that, it means we are all made of the sound of light. So wow. the pulsating, we see the vibration, the frequency, and uh-huh. the shades to, to the spectrum of light. And um, I thought that was amazing because it suddenly just made things a hell of a lot lighter for me. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think we all carry the this uh, piece of God consciousness, which which is essentially the sound of light, and uh, it's enshrined within all of us. And uh, as we we start to remember this, uh, uh, we start to to 
find that 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 song of light within ourselves and learn to better sing it into the into the world and into uh, into into the moment as we pave our way into the future and these ancient beings are pointing and showing us that we are very much a part of this light consciousness uh, and um, they are awakening helping us to awaken this song of light within us at this very critical time where humanity needs to wake up uh, and we need to to be operating at our most sort of enlightened state of our beingness as possible uh, in order for us to to overcome uh, a lot of the horrors that we've created and also to to overcome potentially uh, adversities that are are nearby and the ancient peoples have lived through this uh, these cycles and oscillations of human consciousness and the ebb and flow of our mother earth and uh, the changes uh, sometimes catastrophic changes that happen Uh, but somehow we have survived and these ancient beings have left these monuments there to to help guide us well i think in many ways too while while we all have that that energy within us that's that's what makes us who we are um these sites provide a jump start that helps us to connect to that source because we all we all have it but but we all don't connect to it and these sites seems to be places where we can you can go you can sit you can open yourself and get a jump start on that connection to that source within you i i don't see how anyone could go to these sites and not be touched and have an opening of some sort within themselves it, it's it's like they're they're battery connectors you know and and you you sit and you plug in and suddenly there's there is a flow of energy within you that you didn't know was there but once you have it it continues and and you know there there are places all over the globe like this but but the fact that south africa has been ignored for a long time it's a good thing probably because maybe we weren't ready for that kind of opening that, that now happily, hopefully, more people are open to. So, it, so it, it stands to reason that, you know, when, when the teacher is ready, the student appears. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. This may be one of those instances where this is a place where people can reconnect with their sense of, with their source and awaken a greater sense of understanding for the earth and the energies that are around us. It's, it's very profound, and I'm, I'm just so delighted that, that your book is coming into a greater, a greater part of the population. I certainly am, it, I put it up on, on my website as far as the books that I recommend because it is an awakening in itself. And once you understand that that awakening is there, and much as going there is is really the best way to, to tune into it and experience it, some of us just can't afford that kind of trip. But but you once you know where it is, 
you can you can astrally travel to it in your dream state once you have the knowledge that it exists you can connect to it in dream state and 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 get that jolt of energy that gives you a greater awareness um it's very it, your book is magical and your you know the the cause you have is profound um i want to i want to get your website out there it's it's www.sacredsitetours sacred sites with an s tours.co.za right yeah, that that's our the the the, the our big tour um, website. But if they want to go more to the sacredsites.co.za website, that is the Sacred Site Foundation, which will have all the research and things on it. So if you're interested in tours, go to sacredsites.co.za. Uh, uh, sacred Otherwise, if you want more information, go to sacredsites.co.za. Okay, and and the name of the book is Pathways of the Sun, um, Unveiling the Mysteries of Table Mountain and Beyond. Um, and again, get get the hardcover book. It's not hardcover; it's paperback. But get get the book itself because it is it is just so graphically breathtaking. The the illustrations in it, you're going to want to go for sure. Um, I mean the, fa- the 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 photographs are just phenomenal. You've you've brought an amazing awareness to 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 a population um on the in the world that is hungry for information like this and it's it's just so exciting that that you know you're there that you took the journey you took that you chronicled it in 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 a in book form and that you're putting the information out there because so many of these sites are are sudden suddenly coming into the the public purview, so to speak, the Bosnian pyramids for one, but these even older um, a, a sense of great antiquity here and and connection to the earth and 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 in turn to the cosmos uh, a return to source in many ways is is just such a wonderful celebration of the fact that there's hope out there for all of us. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I echo that. I, I truly believe there's great hope for humanity. And, and I want to just thank you, Barbara, for having me on the show and, and um, for, for, for all your, your uh, support on, on every level. And, um, yeah, I, I, hey, I hope you come and visit South Africa soon. Oh yeah, it's on my it's on my bucket list. My bucket is a pretty full bucket right about now. But um, it <laughs> yeah, it just it it's sort of like um, it calls to you when you see these faces, when you you see them, and and you realize that that at certain times they were it wasn't random that that the sun does come through the eyes. It does tell you a direction. It gives you it gives you hope. Um, that that humanity, there was a kindness and there's a spirituality so profound back millions of years probably that that was reaching into the future to say reconnect. Here's how you do it. I mean, it's it's like it's a message sent from out of time, and it, it's 
it's important that people understand that humanity as a whole really does try to reach beyond time to to help and to to educate and to make connections for those that may have lost their way and and become profoundly lost in materialism and knowing that the source doesn't doesn't necessarily cost money it takes time and it takes awareness but but it's it's out there for everyone and that connection is so important because we can't go into the future without that connection we just can't make that step so it's it's part of returning to our source and getting re-energized by it in order to take all of that wonderful spirituality into the future so that so that we can leave markers for generations yet to come so you've got a lot of work ahead of you but i i suspect it's going to be very exciting work for you and and i do thank you so much for persevering with me and and um on the third attempt to get this show on the air we actually did it <laughs> yay <laughs> yes yeah beautiful yeah thanks so, so much I, barbara and let's stay in touch shall we I, I'm going to have you back on at a later date, and we're going to—you're going to catch me up on everything. And um, I really, if it's all right with you, I'll pass your information on to some other radio hosts that I'm—I'm I'm sure will be very interested in getting your information out there as well. Sure, that's fine. That'll be great. It's definitely the time for me to uh, step up to the plate here a lot more this year. Um, I'm not a very great self-promoter and of my work so whoever's out there helping to to get it out there uh i greatly appreciate it okay i'll see what i can't do for you and i thank you again and i thank everyone who is listening i know i made this a private radio show it's about to go public as soon as we get off the air and i will get it up on youtube as well and for those of you that do hear it and listen um subscribe to my YouTube page so I can continue to put people out there who have mystical and magical information to give to all of us. 